Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman. Thanks for being here. We are joined today by my good friend, Caitlin Gerben, the amazing trail runner and mountain athlete from Issaquah, Washington. This is Caitlin's second appearance on the show, the first coming in 2020. And this one comes on the heels of an incredible summer of adventure and competition which we talk about in great detail in today's show. Astute observers will know that Caitlin finished third place at UTMB just a couple months ago, a podium performance at the most competitive 100 miler in the world. So of course we talk all about that race and what went into it from a training and execution perspective but we also pack a lot more into this hour-long conversation. We discuss Caitlin's return from injury in 2021, which he learned from that experience. And we spent a lot of time discussing a huge expedition that Caitlin did this summer on a route called the North Cascades High Route. It was a week-long traverse of some very remote, technical, and seemingly very special terrain in Washington state. It's something I've really wanted to hear about for a couple months now since they completed this expedition. Far from a simple trail run, it was a project that incorporated all the different mountain skills that Caitlin has worked hard to cultivate in her career. She and her partner, Jenny Abag, were able to complete the route in just under seven days, pioneering a new standard to inspire future mountain athletes. So we spent a lot of time talking through that project, the focus that went into it and how it impacted how she views herself as a multi-sport mountain athlete. It's a super fun convo. We finished by talking about her upcoming race for Team USA at World Mountain Running Championships in Thailand next month. So I hope you all enjoy the episode. As usual, a big thank you to Speedland, the presenting sponsor of the Free Trail Podcast. Speedland is, of course, a hyper-performance premium footwear brand based in Portland, Oregon, and the makers of the SLHSV, the highest quality trail shoe ever made, incorporating all the best components and technology on the market, a removable Carbitex carbon plate, double BOA LI2 dials, Michelin outsoles, Dyneema integration into the upper and moccasin stitch for insane durability. It's an absolute piece of art. Go grab a pair at runspeedland.com and sign up for the newsletter while you're there because you're not going to want to miss some upcoming news if you know what I mean. Runspeedland.com appreciate their support. Finally, if you enjoy the show, consider joining Free Trail Pro, the global online community of passionate trail runners from around the world. Your membership will unlock access to a catalog of training plans, the Free Trail Slack community, which is an absolute phenomenon, Free Trail community Zoom calls, member-only discounts, early access to events, and a lot more. There's a 30-day free trial, so at least come try it out. We'd love to say hello. Visit freetrail.com, click the button that says join Free Trail Pro in the top right, or you can find the link here in the show notes. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. So fun to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, Dylan. How have things been recently for you? I just got off the phone with Ryan and I told him, oh, I'm about to pod with Caitlin. He said, oh, she just did a sweet classic large season route here in Washington. I did. Yeah, yesterday, um, 
we gambled a little bit. We've had a lot of wildfire smoke in the Northwest. Um, in the last couple of weeks, really since I got back from Europe, there've been um, wildfires and a lot of smoke um, in Seattle and Issaquah area, but we got lucky with the smoke and got a pocket of good air and went and did one of these routes that I've done probably like four or five times now um, over the years that we've been in the Northwest. And it's just like one of those routes that you, every time I go back, I'm like, oh yeah, I know why I'm going back to this route. Um, that was super fun. And I actually had like the first time I did it was backpacking with probably like a, you know, I don't know, 40 or 50 liter pack with a bunch of friends. Then I've done it like in a lightweight overnight style with Ellie a couple of years later. Then I've gone back and like run it a handful of times in a day. So it's just, yeah, it's one of those roads. I feel like I've spent like experience kind of every version of different ways to travel on it, which makes it kind of fun. And is it peak larch season right now? I experienced larches for the first time myself, like a complete tourist when I did the enchantments this time last okay. year. Yep. <laughs> and yep. of course there was like a billion people on the route, but it didn't <laughs> make it any less spectacular. Maybe explain to the audience the uh, majesty of larch season in the Northwest. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an, it's a full on obsession for people, I think, like trying to get out and see when, when all the colors are, are turning. And so um, yeah, the larches, I think it's, we're maybe, I think it depends on the region. It seems like we're like just past peak, maybe at least where I was yesterday. Um, but it's just amazing to see like the bright yellow trees, especially then with like the red huckleberry, um, you know, bushes kind of on the ground and yeah, it just makes for really spectacular times. So yeah, amazing that we're at, you know, mid October and still have like summer type weather, super dry, but it's fortunately starting to rain, I think by the end of this weekend. So hopefully the wire wildfires will um, be calmed down a little bit by that rain. Yeah. I was just saying to Ryan that I saw on Twitter yesterday that it was 88 degrees in Seattle yesterday. And that set a record for the second half of October by like 14 degrees Fahrenheit for, you know, <laughs> it's, so it's, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy. And I, yeah, I think, you know, it, it's of course, like we love, we love good sunny weather and we get it, but also then when you tamper that with like how dry and smoky it's been, I think like I'm really ready for fall. And part of that is just like, you know, like, after like this time of year, I feel like always it's kind of like nice set when the weather starts to turn and gets a little colder, a little darker and rainier. It's like a really good equalizer to just be like, I think yeah. I'm going to just like stay inside <laughs> today and like not go do an eight hour adventure in the mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't want to complain about having good weather here, but I think, um, you know, nice to get in a few more adventures before the weather turns, but I'll be ready for the rain when that comes oh. to. Yeah, you know, the rain will be welcomed and then come May next year, you're going to be like, where the hell is the tan <laughs> Anyway, well, good to catch up briefly. I feel like we have a ton to talk about. I want to hear all about the North Cascades high route adventure you did in July. Obviously, I want to talk all about your third place finish at UTMB. I want to hear about crewing at Tour de Jeans for the second time. And then, of course, it was just announced that you are going to be on the 80K team for... Team USA at the World Mountain Running Championships in Thailand coming up here at the end of the year. So I feel like we have a ton to talk about. But first, the last time you were on the show was a while ago now. It was like two yeah. years ago. Back in the yeah. Pillars days. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> whatever, three names ago. But um, 
you know, you are a, a good friend and I'm really excited to have you back on the show. And I feel like it's probably good to just kind of catch people up on where you've been since the last time we've talked, because it's been fairly action packed. And yeah, I feel like, you know, when we recorded that conversation, I didn't go back and revisit it, but I recall, I think it was not long after you'd broken the FKT on the Wonderland Trail earlier that year, you'd won Trans Grand Canaria and the Coastal Challenge. And mm-hmm. you know, you'd really like sort of announced yourself to the international trail running world as being like, you know, one of the best and certainly somebody who is going to be a household name for a decade to come. And then you were sidelined with what I understand to be a fairly scary stress fracture. So maybe just catch people up on what happened there and, and how you've been able to build back more importantly, how you've been able to build back towards, you know, landing on the podium at UTMB and being in world-class form again. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that was, um, I was on the pod in 2020. So that was obviously like the start of the pandemic, but I had, like you mentioned, snuck in like two big international wins right before everything shut down in the spring. Um, and then did the Wonderland trail in the summer. And that, that was amazing. Um, and then I think probably like a lot of people, like I was kind of just in this, a little bit of like standstill with like, we don't really know, um, what races are going to be happening. We don't really know, um, you know, what's going to happen with the, with the pandemic, like, are you know, are we going to be able to travel again? Um, and so I didn't really have a plan for 2021. And I think, you know, had a lot of actually really big life stresses happening at that time. Um, we sold a house, bought a house, did a bunch of renovations. I had, um, at the time with my job, I think two, huge publications that I was working on wrapping up, um, also trying to train and run. And I was on the North face team and, you know, had kind of some big ambitions for that year, but I guess it didn't, didn't really like, I think looking back, like probably didn't take like the recovery and downtime that I really needed because I just was like, well, you know, kind of just cruising along here. Um, and so I, you know, all those things aside, I ended up finding myself with like my first like first real running injury, which was like, lo and behold, like a massive, you know, a massive injury. Like a seriously a stress, scary one. Yeah, yeah. I had a stress fracture in the neck of my femur. Um, and so that's, you know, a, a high risk area because if the fracture continues to break through, like it can, it just, it doesn't heal well there and also can be really scary and like a career ending um, injury. That's what I remember my doctor telling me. So that happened in April of 2021. And that took me out for like the entire summer. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, not definitely not easy to deal with an injury. And I think, um, it was a little, it took a while for me to wrap my head around, like actually being injured because I think I had been fortunate to really not have a lot of injuries or really any major injury from running throughout my whole running career. So then to like, go and have that happen. I felt like it was just like, like, whoa, this is, this is, this is serious. That was a big thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I took my time coming out of that, um, really like leaned into some other things, took time off from running. I think it was actually a really good thing. I mean, it like sucked in the moment. I don't want to say like that injury was like, you know, now rosy cheeks looking back, like, wow, that was great that that happened. Like it, it, it sucked, but but I do think Did it like, feel like cool timing to you. Cause for me, oh, it felt yeah. like just such <laughs> shitty timing. 
Because it was like, you were very much like, okay, now Kaylin Gerben is in that top echelon of athletes. And it's like, okay, now she goes and does UTMB or hard rock, or, you know, you'd already been on the podium in Western States at that point. And so to me, it was just like, oh my goodness, like now. It it also, I feel like it also really sucked because so much had been on hold for the pandemic that then to Mm -hmm. suddenly like to get injured right at the time when races were starting to come back online, like that was that felt like it really sucked because then I felt like I missed not only the pandemic year, but also then my full year of being injured. So yeah, that sucks. But like, I mean, we never really like time yeah. when these things happen. So that's just like, they the always happen at a bad like, time. Yeah. It's, it's the, always cruel timing. <laughs> yeah. There's never, never a good time to, to be injured. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think like at the time, like when I was kind of getting through my injury and in, in the summer, like things were going well and, I thought for a while in there, maybe I would try to race something last, last fall. Um, but you know, for various reasons, I had a lot of like really good people in my support network that were just reminding me to like, you don't like, why, like why, why rush back to something? And actually remember, um, Dylan, you, I talked to you at some point when I was injured in there and I remember you like giving some, just some insight from your own injury and just like, just like settling back and just accepting it and not trying to like train through it and cross train and do all these other things, like really just take some time off. Um, and so I, I'm glad I did that because I think, you know, it, it takes a long time to build back from months off of running or even really any activity. And so I feel like I was like really just fighting that all of last fall and then even into the spring and really like almost wondering if I was going to ever return to the same level of fitness that I had before. Yeah. Um, but it, it just takes time. And I think now that, you know, especially after the year in the summer that I had, and definitely after UTB, I feel like, okay, like I'm like, I've, I've gotten back to, to where I was before. And maybe, maybe that's not even the right way to think about it. I feel like I'm like a new athlete now. Yeah. And I think like that, you know, injury aside, like regardless of what it was like taking that time off and kind of resetting and reframing things, I think was actually a really good thing. Yeah. The word acceptance, I think is the most important thing. I think when any athlete is injured, that the first step is just like accepting that you're hurt. Cause like yeah. for me, when I look back at my injury in 2019, I made it at least six months longer than it needed to be because oh I, just, I never accepted it. You know, it took me six months to accept it. So I just exacerbated the issue yeah. so much longer. So, yeah. so, you know, I guess um curious to hear any uh like profound lessons that have come as a result of that. I mean, building back to the place where you are now feeling like a new athlete, you said also that it gave you a chance to kind of focus on other things. Mm -hmm. Um, Any, any sort of things that have come about from the injury that otherwise wouldn't be in your life, you know, any silver linings that now looking back on you feel grateful for? Um, I feel like actually the biggest thing is that I feel like being injured for as long as I was and over the summer, like really forced me to learn how to chill out. Like I'm like a pretty, like, I mean, I like to keep myself really busy and I think like a good example of this is like the thought of a beach vacation before my injury was like, like I would just go crazy. (laughs) Like I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but now like, I'm like, Oh, like I, I just feel like it's like, it helps me. Um, I don't know. It helped helped me like appreciate things in a little bit of a different way and like really be able to switch the, like 
switch that focus from like being really on when I need to be and being able to completely disengage when I, when I don't need that. And I think, um, that's something I had always, you know, tried to do before. And I think that especially like other things that you have going on in life, especially other jobs and stuff really help you do that. But I think it's a skill to be able to just like turn things off. And I even found like getting ready for UTMB and like in the week leading up to the race, I felt like, oh, wow, like, I don't know, like, like, who am I? Like, how am I able to just like lay on the couch like this and like not stress out? <laughs> like, I don't think I would have been been able to do that before, you know, having a big injury. So um, I guess that's kind of a silver lining, but also it's made the rest of my life pretty great too. <laughs> that's probably like the nature of the injury to being a bone stress injury where you really mm-hmm. have to stop where if it's mm-hmm. like soft tissue, maybe you ride the bike or you do a bunch of PT or whatever. Yeah. But when it's like the femoral neck, it's like, no, you got to press stop. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about that. I mean, I think it's just good to sort of catch up about, you know, sort of where you've been in the last couple of years since the last time you were on the show. And this year has been a a busy one for you. And I want to talk all about your competitive season. I want to talk about the adventures that you've done, but maybe just to make this transition seamless. You mentioned earlier about like the hardship of coming back to racing after injury and your first race back was Trans Grand Canaria race mm-hmm. where you finished on the podium twice, including one victory. And I'm sure, you know, that was kind of a, a bittersweet result, you know, coming back to competition, you had just finished a big expedition with Fernando Maciel, like whatever, a couple of weeks beforehand, but mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a race where you wanted to compete for a podium position. Again, you finished eighth. What was like the feeling like after that result about, you know, where you were physically and, you know, in the greater arc of your return to competition like did did you feel good about that result or were you like doubting your ability to come back yeah you know I think it was actually kind of a different feeling like I showed up there and I think had exactly the race that I was prepared for and so if anything it was like a lesson in um humility and in preparation for a big race like that like I had um, been super excited about the race, but then admittedly this project I had with, with Fernanda and Patagonia had taken the front seat and I was just all in on that. And I thought that I would be able to train pretty well while in Patagonia. And the reality is like with working on this project and everything we had going on there, I really did not get a lot of running in other than kind of some big, long adventure days to scout and recon that, that route. Um, and then we also got COVID while we were there. And so I was, you know, come like, I think I showed up really to TGC, like with, with like a 10 day training, it's like block thinking like, okay, like I know how to do this. My body knows how to do this. Let's, let's just see what happens. And then like a miracle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think looking back, like, of course, hoping for a miracle, but at the time I was like, oh, like, I don't know. Like I've, I mean, I've had races where I haven't been in top four and and shown up and been able to just like pull together a smart race. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, I just was kind of had my blinders on for that and then showed up at TGC and I didn't have any big expectations of, you know, I didn't think I could run what I'd run in previous years, but I thought I could have a pretty solid race. And I think pretty quickly on in, in that day, I just was like, okay, like this is like, (laughs) we're just in a different, we're in a different level right now. And that's okay. And 
So I think like coming out of that race and then just like really looking back at my training and like accepting that, like, okay, like, like, you know, it's almost like, what did I think was going to happen? Um, I think it was a really good lesson for that. And I'm, I'm like, I feel like I probably would have had to learn that lesson sooner or later. And I'm glad that that happened then in that setting in that race, especially before UTMB, because, you know, then it kind of just like reset, like, okay, like what, it, what are my goals at UTMB? What are my goals for other races in the season? And like, especially if I want to have other projects and FKT adventures and that sort of thing in my schedule, how do I make sure that I can still like, like go after both goals without, without kind of letting one go to the side. And then if that happens, maybe like level setting my mindset a little bit before I go into that. Like if I had done that with TGC, I think it would have been like, okay, like first race back, like just get the distance done, just do it. And instead I kind of was like, Oh, I don't know. I'll just see what happens. And like, you, you can't show up at a race like that without yeah. like really being in it, you know? This is great. Um, maybe talk about the balance between expedition and competition as a professional athlete. Of course, we just mentioned that you did this project with Fernando Maciel. In a minute, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the North Cascades High Route, but maybe mm-hmm. as we make our way towards that project, I'd love to hear you talk about how those two things are supportive of one another and how you think about them fitting together in the jigsaw puzzle of your calendar and the goals that you set for yourself. And maybe you could use the specific examples of what you did this year and how they fit with your competitive season. Yeah. Um, I think this will vary with every, you know, everyone. Um, I feel like for me personally, really what got me into ultra running and, and trail running in the first place was doing kind of big mountain days. Um, mixing, you know, mountaineering with, with ultra running and going fast and light and all that sort of thing. Like that, that's really like what got me stoked on, on the sport. And so I think I've found that I tend to have my best seasons and best races when I'm actually allowing myself to do, do that stuff too. Um, and yeah, I think, I think like that, that's just something that I, I try to, I try to remember as best as I can and then find ways to, to make it work into my schedule. Um, I don't think that like, I mean, if you look at my, my buildup for UTMB, I'd, I think like probably if people didn't know I was doing UTMB, they would just not even know I was racing it because of like doing like the, the high route and doing a bunch of recon trips and stuff like that. But I actually think that there is so much that can overlap with doing big, long days like that. And I think you definitely still need to do the race specificity and the training, but I think like the, the mindset and like the just physical strength you get from carrying a pack and doing like long continuous movement for, you know, like at that point, like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm out moving maybe for 20 hours or 15 hours, whatever it is during the day. So like jumping to then doing a, you know, 20 plus hour race setting, it's like that aspect of like moving continuously, moving through tiredness, eating the whole time, just getting your body used to that. Like that just comes really naturally. And then I, you know, try to fit in like the things that those adventures don't cover, um, for training, which is like some of the speed work or faster actual running, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I I like to, I think like it keeps me fresh and I I think I get a lot of my 
like motivation and inspiration from doing big adventures like that. And I think that allows me to go into races that I care about actually like fired up for the race rather than feeling like I've already sucked all that energy out for other races yeah. <laughs> in the year. I love it. So let's come back to that in a sec, but first tell us about the North Cascades high route. How did you dream this thing up and also maybe introduce us to Jenny, who is your partner during this week long? Yeah. Okay. I'll start with Jenny because she's amazing deserves a shout out. So uh, Jenny Adeg is total crusher in the Northwest. Um, she's really well known in like the climbing and Alpine community here. Um, and I had is known she a Seattleite? She lives in Leavenworth. Okay. Um, but she, she grew up in, in this area and she's kind of bounced around between Oregon and, and Washington and, and also um, British Columbia. But yeah, currently she's in, she's in Leavenworth and we had had like a number of friends kind of in mutual circles, but then the two of us have had never met before. And I had heard her name just through seeing like big routes and stuff that she's done, but also have had people tell me like, Oh, do you know, Jenny? Like, I think you guys would get along. You might want to hang out sometime. And she, I guess had heard the same thing about me, but I was, you know, intimidated by her because she's like a real like climber, like real like Alpine person. And apparently she had told me, she was like, Oh, she was intimidated by me. Cause like, I'm like a runner. <laughs> so we both like, I think kind of like, uh, complimented each other in ways that we felt like are really, we're just like needed for this kind of route. So, um, yeah. And then when we, when we did eventually meet, which was specifically for this project, I had like basically cold called her up and was like, Hey, I have this idea. I think you're a perfect partner. Like before I even finish, she's like, I'm in, <laughs> like, let's do it. Wow. So, um, yeah, we, that led then to us going on a, what we called just like a blind adventure date because, you know, you can't really like commit fully to doing some week long route with just one person until yeah. you've actually at least like met in person. So she said yes, but we're like, okay, well, we should probably like, <laughs> you know, hang out in the mountains first. And we just instantly hit it off. I think we're really good partners, but then also um, became really fast friends. So that was, uh, I think, one of the best things to come out of this whole project, actually, is just like getting a new mountain partner and, and really good friend out of it. So Ryan said you guys did the run together yesterday too, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Um, yeah. So we, the run I did yesterday was like near Leavenworth. So her and her partner and some other friends were able to join kind of last minute. So Sweet. yeah, yeah. It's cool that she lives nearby so we can actually see each other. Um, so the North Cascades high route, I mean, that's something I had been planning and, and really thinking about for a couple of years, but then got real serious about it when I pitched it to North Face in 2021. So actually it was when I was in, like, right when I was injured, I, I uh, put together this like pitch deck and, and sent that in and that ended up like getting selected. So I got support for that. So it's like, at that point it was August. I'm like, okay, I guess like this project was just happening. Like, you know, I've been thinking about it for a long time, but I was excited, but honestly, like a little bit like terrified because I wasn't quite sure, like I wasn't a hundred percent sure that the route that I had proposed would even go. Um, and I didn't know that it would go in the time frame that I had, like, I had kind of pitched to do this whole thing in like the course of a couple of days to a week. And, you know, it's one thing saying that, and then it's the other, it's another thing being like, oh, people actually like are like, this is a thing now. Like this is like, how do I yeah. actually pull this together? Yeah. Um, 
And so just to kind of orient people for like what the route is, it's basically going across, like traversing across the length of North Cascades National Park. So that's in Washington state. It's a big national park, amazing, beautiful place, but really, inaccess- I mean, like really inaccessible. There's only two major road crossings. Um, there are trails, but a lot, of, like I'd say most of the park is accessed off trail um, just because of like how rugged the terrain is. It's pr- it's pretty harsh terrain. And so there's not like a lot of really easy trails to get into it. Um, and so the route in total is about 120 miles, but only about 20 miles is on trail. So yeah, about a hundred miles off trail, 60,000 feet of elevation gain, which basically equates to like a thousand feet per mile up and or down. Like every, like every mile is like, (laughs) it's a a thousand feet per mile average. So it's, it's pretty intense. I'll put the Strava in the show notes for people to take a look at it because it's it's pretty heroic looking just from, you know, the topographical perspective. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Um, It is essentially a link up of like four existing traverses or high routes in in the park um although some like the the two on the end side are a lot more popular and the the two at the front half is just like you know a little bit wild um and so each one of those routes takes usually like anywhere around a week some some the northern sections people spend more than a week like would frequently go in and do one of them in like 10 days mm-hmm. and then some of the the two sections on the lower end, um, you know, that an average backpacker or mountaineer would maybe take five to seven days, but then, you know, there's runners that will go and do the, the last section of it in a day or two. Um, so it's a, it's a really long route. And, and my, our goal was to do it in under a week, which we did, but that was just like, you barely made it that. under a week. Like, you barely made it under a week. Yeah. Um, and actually, like it was, I mean, it's arbitrary. It really doesn't matter. Yeah, but like the yeah. the making it under a week, like was like, okay, we can do that. Like, let's just make that happen. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It I think like stats aside, like it's just one of those things that I I just was so all in on this project for yeah. basically the whole year. Like it became an obsession that. I feel like it kind of needed to be that way just because there was so much legwork that went into like researching the route and staring at maps and like digging up trip reports from the nineties about people who had last been in this section. And um, yeah, it was, I've, I've never done anything like this before. And I feel like it's one of those things that at least right now, like it stands out to me as probably like the biggest thing I've ever done, like as an athlete, which is kind of hard to put into perspective with like other races and stuff because it's just so different. But I, I feel like I definitely like changed as an athlete in doing this route and also like as a person too, which is maybe a little corny, but it's just like one of those life-changing weeks. So to reinforce it for the listeners, it was not like a trail run. It was something that mixed a lot of different alpine and mountain skills, glacier travel, legit, you know, scrambling or fifth class climbing, probably using crampons and ice axes and things like that. Yep. We carried a rope, I think the whole time had harnesses on for the majority of it also. So, yeah. 
So going back to Jenny, I was reading your post on fastestknowntime.com and I mm-hmm. just pulled out a little excerpt here that I want you to expand on. And what you said is, I've been scheming about this route for almost three years and it's occupied the free space in my mind ever since. This trip was the culmination of a lifetime of mountain experience, perfectly weaving together skill sets of ultra endurance, mountain savvy and technical alpine skills. Jenny and I found ourselves to be perfect partners. Skill set wise, we blended and supported each other perfectly and our trust and communication was dialed. I'm so grateful for this week together. So talk about the importance of partnership on this type of expedition and maybe also expand on that trust and communication part of the post because it yeah. strikes me as important. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you pulled that out and also like <laughs> impressed that I wrote that because it's like well, that's <laughs> way more eloquent than what I just said. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think partnership is just so important for something like this. Um, I mean, really like the two of us were responsible for, for ourselves and each other's safety for the, for the whole route. Um, the first four days we did with just the two of us, we had, um, that's kind of a separate story, but had told, basically told the photographers that was supposed to be along, like to just meet us in the second half, because we wanted to have the experience of like just being out there with just the two of us. And in that section, um, that was like the cruxiest parts where we were not even sure if we were going to like, uh, we, we just, there were so many unknowns really with, with what the conditions and everything would be like. And we also didn't see a single other human or even, well, a few, we saw a few animals, but like no humans or signs of humans or anything for that whole, you know, four days. It was, it was remote. Wow. And so I think like any, like all of that, just like having a a partner that you can just trust so inherently um, is definitely like necessary to be safe, but also like to just in the style that we were doing this route and the way we were moving through um, you know, we didn't have a lot of room for error. And so, yeah, just, I think like, like I said, like when, when Jenny and I first went out on one of their like little blind date (laughs) adventure missions, (laughs) it just was like so natural and clicked in a way where like we did, we, that day we had done also kind of like a mix of terrain and stuff. And so it was similar in a sense to like when we're on this high route, there's sections where, you know, we're on a glacier for a couple hours and, you know, that might, that, you know, for the most part, that was something that like, I would like kind of step into the leadership role. And I've done a lot of glacier travel and have a lot of experience with like steep snow travel and stuff. And so, um, I would just kind of jump in there and then, and then take that. And then, you know, moments later, we'd get to some more alpine section with a little bit of rock climbing or scrambling or something. And Jenny would just naturally like float to the front in that. And, I think one of the things that just really stood out to me is that we had, we had different levels of expertise, but there was never a moment where like, I didn't trust her when she was in front of me and she didn't trust me, but also like, instead of, I think sometimes when you're with someone who's more experienced in one thing, you can almost like disengage a little bit and like, just really let that person take the lead. And like, maybe you don't feel like you're empowered as much to, to like really be a true partner in that setting. And I think sometimes that's okay. But one thing that just was so awesome about doing this with Jenny is I felt like 
really like brought along on like in this in the rock sections where she was leading like I I never uh-huh. felt like I was like you know not competent enough or something and like in the same with you know the the snow traveler the longer endurance stuff where like I was kind of taking the lead and you know by a couple of days in I think we had we just both had leveled up in in almost like it's like you know we started a little bit like this or like this and then just started to kind of like blend together so oh. you know by a couple of days in like she was moving faster on steeper snow which maybe had been a little bit slower before and like I was climbing up um something that I would have asked her to put a rope on before and I think like there's just this like really beautiful like blend of um trust and also like I don't know like encouragement and and, and doing that in a way that's like safe and empowering which is amazing and um, wow Very, very cool. What about the communication aspect? I'm wondering if maybe there's an anecdote that you can point to where this was important. I'm sure over the course of seven days, there was a lot of conversations. But like, yeah, maybe when you're thinking about where to put a rope on or whatever, like Mm -hmm. that's a place where you have to be like super honest. Are there any other communication examples that you think are valuable? Um, yeah, so when uh, there were, there's like just so many, as you can imagine, like so many stories and like little things that to share from this whole week. So, um, I know we don't have time to do all these, but one, one thing that happened, um, so we are in the pickets, which was basically the middle of this first section I've talked about. We we spent like four days completely alone. Um, and it was also the most, like the scariest terrain, I think the, the most challenging. And I had gone out um, weeks, like two weeks before and scouted that section. Um, And Jenny was supposed to come, but Jenny had also gotten COVID uh, right at the beginning of that trip. So then didn't come. So I was the only one who had seen that section. We had uh, maps downloaded to our phones with like the route and everything that I had scouted. But then we had an issue with the charging cable. And so our our we had like backup batteries. Those batteries were fine. But then the phone charger, which we had only brought one of, like broke or something happened. We couldn't charge our phones. So we ended up with like dead phones and like so no no like map. And yeah. we didn't have a paper map backup, which was maybe a, a mistake that we should have had. But no. So suddenly now we're like in this, you know, high consequence train that she's never seen before I've seen, but like everything looks a little bit different because there's so much snow and the weather was different. And so it just, it just changes. And, you know, I think like, and we're realizing like, oh, we've got another day and a half to travel through all of these cruxes and we've got to go off of my memory, um, which was like a little, you know, I, I'd, I'd never really done that before. And I think those the, just like that happening is one of those times where it could really like escalate to being like a lot of tension between partners, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, like communication wise, like I might be like, oh, I think we need to go this way, but then she would see something different and maybe think she wants to go a different way. And we're just kind of trying to like, talk about like how to do it. Um, and I, I don't know, I think like being able to just freely communicate and like, banter back and forth a little bit and maybe and like press each other without feeling like you're attacking someone on their decision or or not trusting them but really like talking through that I think is um I don't know it's I I think we were able to just like have really good a really good and open dialogue and it kept situations that could have been a lot more stressful just calm and like focused and um, you know, if we did make a, a mistake in navigation, then 
we would be like, oh, okay, let, let's talk about it. And then, you know, refocus, get back on track. And then, you know, that usually just was like, it, it was never think anything that like we like sat on and, and then, you know, held a grudge yeah. or something. It just was like, it just was, was smooth. Very, very cool. So as we move towards the conversation about UTMB, I think maybe it'd be interesting to hear you just kind of reflect on where you are athletically right now, because I feel Mm -hmm. like you occupy a unique space in the sport. Like there's, you sort of have a similar vibe to Killian, you know, where you are, (laughs) yeah, not no pressure, you know, not not to put you in a ridiculous category, but like, I don't know, like you, you, I'm wondering how you view yourself athletically or just like, as yeah, as a pro athlete right now with, you know, obviously being a professional trail runner and competing mm-hmm. on the, you know, international circuit in that discipline, but also as somebody who has these other sort of like multi-sport ambitions, yeah, anything there that you sort of meditate on or consider in moments of reflection? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I think like this year was a really good example for me of like the things that bring me a lot of joy in the sport and also things that I just like really want to lean into more. Um, you know, I, I think like, like you said, like doing these kind of mixed discipline things, like fortunately, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I really, really love the North face and wanted to, to join on the team with them is I think like there is a lot of space and support for these, for these types of adventures. And I think moving forward, I'd love to find a way to continue to kind of intertwine these like big um, mix, mixed travel types of routes where like the endurance, like the mountain hundred side of, of what I like doing in races is something I can bring to, you know, mountaineering and the Alpine and also, you know, continuing to develop that skill set so that I can push things in a different way. And it's a small you know, kind of like niche area, but I think it's growing so quickly. And I, I feel like I would love to be on the leading edge of that and really pushing that forward. And I think this high route was a really great, like great way to to start doing that. Um, you know, I, I think right now it's not like, I don't know the, the high route. And I think it's just like, I don't think a lot of people like get really what the route was right. and, and can't really this. like, yeah. can't really understand like what Jenny and I experienced out there. And I, I almost, you know, it's not like you can't, you can't understand unless you're there. I think, I think like over time, as people start to do this route or pieces of the route or other routes that I might want to do in the future, I think it'll start to, to be more impactful. And I feel like it's, it's just cool to think about how this type of route maybe is something that like 10, 20 years from now is actually going to be a really big deal. Even if right now it's kind of like something that we're holding yeah. a little bit close, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not trying to be presumptuous about like about it, but I, I just think like doing things like this is something that I'm really passionate about. And I think also could blend really well with my desire to race big mountain hundreds. And I, I would love to, try to find some ways to like continue to intertwine that in my seasons moving forward. Well, it's going to take some cool storytelling. And so maybe to wind down this conversation, it looked like 
Ethan Newberry's working on a movie about the whole expedition. Yes. I'm sure will help to, you know, sort of, you know, accomplish your goal of, yeah, being on the leading edge of bringing these, all these multiple disciplines of mountain travel together and mm-hmm. reimagining the way we look at maps to combine all these different fun outdoor adventurous activities. When, when can we yeah. expect the movie? Uh, it's not going to be until the spring. So you're going to have to stay Come tuned. Come on, Ethan. Let's go, bro. <laughs> Um, yeah no Ethan Newberry is working on it and we had um two amazing photographers and videographers so Nick Danielson um who I'm sure you know and then Stephen Nam um who also is an amazing photographer and and lives yeah they both were local so that was fun because they'd you know seen that the route before I can't wait to see it I can't wait to see it I'll text Ethan and tell him to Hurry it up. Yeah. yeah. I haven't I seen it either. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like getting anxious to see a teaser or something. Cool, cool. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Boa Fit System. You all know Boa, the best lacing system ever invented. You know, the dials you see on every pair of Speedland footwear and on a number of other high quality products in the outdoor and endurance sport marketplace. Boa dials ensure the best possible fit and therefore the best possible performance and experience while you are out ripping on the trails. The LI2 dials are what we use on the Speedlands, which offer incredibly customizable fit. You can tighten and loosen them to very precise increments on the fly, all without tying silly shoelaces. Seriously, it's 2022. Who ties their shoes anymore? Once you go BOA, you never go back. These dials will change your life and make your feet much happier. For those who live in Colorado, we'll be doing a live podcast at the beautiful BOA headquarters in Denver in November. Uh, So stay tuned for more details on that. In the meantime, to learn more about BOA, visit boafit.com. Follow them on Instagram at boafitsystem. Thanks to BOA for their support. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Are you tinkering with your race day nutrition strategy? Are you finding that the nonstop consumption of energy gels and chews leaves you with intense taste fatigue and sugar overdose? Well, I have some advice for you, something I've done for years now. That is, drink your calories. I've tried everything on the market and I am here to tell you that not all drink mixes are created equal. The Gnarly Fuel 2.0 drink mix is by far the best that I've tried for both taste and energy supply. Fuel 2.0 is the bomb, especially the cherry cola flavor. That is my absolute favorite. Has all the carbohydrates, the electrolytes, the amino acids to power you along your trail adventures. Two more things that make it amazing. One, it is NSF certified for sport, so you don't have to worry about unintentionally ingesting any banned substances. And two, they come in both multi-serving bags and single serving pouches. I typically use the big bag, but in case I use a single serve stick in a race or a long training run where I need to refill my bottles, the sticks are actually easy to open. It's a miracle. We've all fumbled with drink mix pouches that are impossible to tear open on the run. Is there anything more frustrating? Well, Gnarly somehow solved for that too. So go grab some Fuel 2.0 drink mix at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. Gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. 
All right. Well, so let's talk about UTMB because obviously I want to spend plenty of time on this too. Of course, mm-hmm. you finished third place, a fantastic podium performance at your first UTMB. I know it was a race that you've been waiting to do patiently. Yeah, I have. <laughs> but maybe to just kind of uh, execute the seamless transition between these two topics, you did the high route in July, only like a month before race yeah. day. So I guess going back to the conversation earlier about balancing expedition and competition, maybe just get paint the picture of what it was like in that month in between the recovery from mm-hmm. that week long expedition and, and how your, where your confidence was at sort of like coming back to UTMB or like that level of competition um, after such a big expedition. Yeah. So, you know, full disclosure, I had actually set out to try to do that, the high route at the end of June or early July, but we just had a mega snowpack in the Cascades. And so things kind of kept getting pushed back. Um, I mentioned that my partner, Jenny, got COVID early July. And so that continued to push things back. And so we, we really like got down to the wire of like the last possible weekend that I would have felt comfortable starting it. And I think, you know, to tie this back to what we talked about with like Trans Grand Canaria earlier in the year and the Patagonia trip, and it was almost like a repeat. It's like big expedition, COVID and like big race all yep. happening. So I was definitely aware of that and just, you know, want like nervous that I didn't want it to get too close because I wanted to make sure I had enough time to recover and also like switch mindset into, into UTMB. And so after the high route, um, I think I took like a full week off, um, and then had, I believe maybe two weeks of training. So I did like a, a peak week of training back in Washington and actually went down and ran on the wonderland trail for a couple of days, which was awesome. Um, and I just love that place. And I feel like the terrain really vibes well with what you find on, on Mont Blanc. Great place to train for UTMB. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I really just like tried to, I, I don't know, try, tried to, to move on from the high route in a way that allowed me to still celebrate this like massive thing that I was super proud of, but then also know like, okay, I've got to do UTMB. Like I can't, I can't really put my heart and energy into UTMB if I'm still really focusing on on what I just did. Yep. So that it was, a, I think ideally I would have liked to have a little bit more time in between just to process that a bit more because I feel like a lot of that now is like I'm I'm kind of going back to like actually having some time to process like what happened both at UTMB and in the high route. And yeah. so it would have been nice to have a little more time. But ultimately, um, yeah, got got in that the peak training and then went out to. Cormier with my husband Ellie and we spent I think 10 days or so in Cormier and kind of wrapped up a little bit of training started my taper and then um went over to Chamonix for for race week so yeah tight tight turnaround Are you but... feeling like ready for it like when you flip the switch from expedition to competition but also like coming back from injury and yeah the the you know last big race that you did was Trans Grand Canaria, where you finished uh-huh. eighth, you know, a solid uh-huh. performance, but certainly a, a performance that you would have wanted more from. Yep. And here you are at UTMB, a race that I think you're going to win someday, personally. Mm-hmm. But you're, you know, I, I, I'm just wondering, like, where your mindset was at in terms of like confidence and preparation for, you know, the world's most important race. 
Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> since you mentioned Trans-Canaria, I mean, I was definitely in my head about that uh, before the race. And Ellie actually, like, I mean, he he saw that he like saw right through it. He's like, just go look at your training for that you did for Trans-Canaria. Like, look at oh, what yeah. you did leading up to that. And look at where you're at for UTMB. And you will see that you're not even in the same ball game. Like you didn't train for, for Transient Canaria. Like, and it, it wasn't until I actually like sat down and like went through and like looked up like what I did week by week. And like, I was like, that actually allowed me to kind of like step out of my head in that and just be like, okay, yeah, this is like, I'm, I'm not, I can't compare these two because yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And, and also like I hadn't raced a hundred miles since I mean, I, the Wonderland Trail, which is a little shorter oh, than right. is the last thing that I had done, even in that distance. Yeah. Um, and then I guess before that, what did I even do? Trans Western States, my third year racing 2019, which wow. I did not have a great race at. I was sick. And um, I mean, I, I, I had, I actually had a, a great race given everything, but it wasn't like yeah. my best performance there. So I kind of yeah. went out on my third year there feeling like, Ooh, I, you know, that wasn't my best day. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I don't know. I think it was, that was definitely a little bit hard mentally, but I don't know what it Did is. Did you have and, like an intuition that you were ready for a podium though? I mean, because. Yeah, I kind of did actually. Okay, like, I, this I is did. something I've asked Katie Scheid and Matthew Blanchard on, yeah. on the show recently too. And I was curious, like, cause I think sometimes that intuition can get foggy when we doubt ourselves and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I did. And I think like what really helped me with their channel, that was just like, trying to remember that like the training that I've done for UTMB wasn't just what I did in the last two or three months. Like I, I was trying to think of like all these other hundreds that I've run as being like build up for, for UTMB. Um, and that I, I think like, I, I just like, I was able to, to stay pretty calm and chill before race week. And I did that like on purpose, like I just kind of removed myself from the buzz of everything. I just like stayed in the apartment, didn't, didn't meet up with people, didn't go for runs, just really like shut things down. And then I feel like when I got to the starting line, like I had expected to just be like so much more nervous. And like, I I don't know, I, I just had this like really like calm sense of like, like, I know how to do this. I've been wanting oh. to come and race here forever. And now I'm finally here. And like, I, you know, I was nervous actually about the first like 20, 26, 24, whatever, recently to Lake Contamines. I was worried about that first part because it, I knew it was just going to be really fast for me. Fast, but yeah. I was just trying to tell myself, like, just get to Lake Contamines, like pull out your headlamp, get into the mountains and like, just try to remember, like, I know what to do once I get there. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that was just kind of trusting that the years I had had before would come around, but it's hard to do that when it's been two years since you've raced or, you know, done any, anything really like that, because the first instinct is like, Oh, I don't know if my body knows how to do that anymore. Or I don't know if I'm fit enough to do that anymore. So yeah, I, I mean, that's, it's just a different, yeah, different way to come back into a big race. So then talking more about the race itself, eventually you sort of, I think you referred to it as no woman's land where yeah. <laughs> Katie and, and Marion Hogan were sort of off the front and you like had firmly established yourself 
in third place, but maybe anything from the race, any details from their performance that you think are really memorable or lessons learned for your next attempt on the course? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, my, one of my big pacing strategies for the race was to try to get to Cormier within the time goals that I had set, but also like feeling, feeling fresh, mm-hmm. which I didn't honestly know if was even possible, but I, but I did like, I, I came in there and I'm like, okay, I'm like right in between, you know, not as fast as I thought I might come in, but it's really like, I'm basically between, you know, right in my range, but I'm like, I feel, I feel good. Like, I'm not sure how I manage this, but I feel good. And then I left there in third and then just, you know, turned on the gas a little bit and ran that next section really well. And like that, that's when I then learned that I was kind of in this no man's land. So basically from yeah. before my air until the finish, I, you know, I leapfrogged a bit with a few men, but I, it was really didn't see many people out there. <laughs> it was pretty lonely. Um, so I think like, I'm really proud of, you know, with it being, especially being my first race at UTMB and being, you know, really three years since I last ran a hundred with, with COVID and with being injured or being injured. Um, I'm really proud of like pulling that first half together and just like running fresh and being able to, to just like go from there. Like, I feel like that's like awesome. And I'm going to try to replicate that again. Um, but I think lessons for next year is just like, I, I think I definitely raced a conservative race for me and I'm, you know, that brought me a podium and I'm stoked about that. But I think sometimes maybe I need to take a little more, be a little bit riskier with the pacing with people and not let, like, by the time I, you know, was ready to make moves, Katie and Marianne had already just had so much time on me that, you know, had I had people closer, maybe I would have pushed a little bit more, but I, I was just kind of in this like place where, well, like I've got 50 miles left. I've got a pretty secure third, but that's a lot of time. Like, you know, should I push or should I just like chill out and not do anything stupid and just like, keep kind of keep an eye on where things are at. And that's what I ended up doing. So I feel like I executed that really well, but I think, um, wanting to go a little bit harder off the front might be, might be in my future. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take big risks, I think to win win that race, but yeah, Yeah. more opportunities. Was there a big sigh of relief at the finish line having, you know, put together another fantastic, like competitive performance after Mm -hmm. injury? Um, not immediately, but in, in the the days after I, and I think this came from like a few friends just like messaging me about it and being like, wow, like, you know, it's so great to see you back after injury. And I'm just like, I, I really hadn't thought about that much before. Um, but I think then afterwards, just thinking like, like I felt, I felt really strong racing. And I think, yeah. um, regardless of performance, I think like covering that much distance and elevation gain and just like feeling like, like I could do that. And like, was feeling really good. I feel like it's like a great reminder that like, yeah, like I'm like the injuries is past me. I'm like not no longer injured and also just like ready to ready to rip again. Yeah. You know what? Somebody pointed out to me, I can't remember who it was. I wish I could give them the proper credit, but of the podium finishers at UTMB this year, 
yourself, Marianne Hogan and Tom Evans had all been through like serious injury and recovery in the last couple years, call it. Mm-hmm. It was like Marianne mm-hmm. had broken her leg and Tom had gotten knee surgery, yourself mm-hmm. with your stress fracture. So anyway, I just thought it was a good reminder to all of us that, you know, in the moments of doubt of like, oh, I'm never going to be the same athlete again, my mm-hmm. career's over, et cetera, that you can still battle back and achieve podium performances like half of the podium finishers at UTMB this year. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're, when you're in the depths of injury at all in like, I've had so many people told me like, Oh, don't worry. You'll come back stronger. And like, you really get sick of hearing that. (laughs) But, and, and I, I like, don't really want to say that to other people because I know everyone's experience is different, but I think like it takes time and a lot of hard work, but like you'll come back as a different athlete. And there's a good chance that like, if you do that, right, it's going to be better than where you, where you started. All right. So now briefly tell us about the next ultra marathon you did, which was crewing your husband, Ellie. At yeah. <laughs> we um, don't have enough time to go through the entire, whatever it was, several yeah. days story, well, but I, I'd love to hear. So, yeah, we, I mean, this is actually like, we, we just were so fortunate to get to spend like so much time out there. And because he was racing, I think it was two weeks after UTMB, um, we just stayed through. And so we went back over to Cormier stayed there. Um, so this was his second time at Tour de Jeans. He raced last year. Um, and yeah, I don't, we, the week, week started off great. Like he was super stoked about it. Super well-trained. Um, actually he decided to stop like, so he ended up not finishing, but decided to stop, I think a day, one day in, um, and everything was fine. Like wasn't injured. He just like, I don't know. I'm really, I'm actually really, really proud of him for it because I feel like so often we think of like a DNF as just being like this thing to avoid at all costs. Um, and like this, you know, black mark of something that like, Oh, I didn't, (laughs) I didn't get this thing done, but he just wasn't, I don't know. I I don't want to like speak for him. He's like, just decided like, this wasn't, this wasn't his year. It wasn't what he needed right now. Um, I think tour is, one of those beasts of a, of an event that just really like takes so much out of you, like physically and mentally. And, um, for a lot of reasons, he just decided that wasn't what he needed this year. So, um, we ended up then getting a bonus week because the race is a week long. So we just had like an actual vacation because he had already taken off of work and, went, went down, went down to the beach, like did some, you know, ate some good food, drank some good wine, like swam in the ocean. Like it was, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a great, a great way to, to finish the the trip. It's, and that, I think he's makes... got the fire for next year if he gets in again. So. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes DNFing quite dangerous when, you know, instead of the shame and disappointment of dropping out and then having to return home, like feeling like you've really, you know, sort of let yourself down. Instead, you have a week long vacation when you're swimming in the ocean. I know. <laughs> it's like, it's like all of a sudden, it's like, man, DNF sounds pretty darn nice. Doesn't I know. It? Well, and when, like, I think he had stopped on Monday and on, you know, I, there's so many complex feelings around it. So like, even though he was yeah, having a good time, I know he was like processing that, but like, by the end of the week, like, I think it was on Friday. He's like, wow, I don't know. I kind of wish I, I kept going. And I'd be like, Ellie, like, 
that would mean you are literally still out there. Like you would still be out there. Like we have relocated. We've like, like, like think of all these things we've done in the last week. You would have been doing the same thing. Like it's and okay. He's already finished. He's already finished <laughs> yeah. the damn race. And yeah. they, there was, wasn't there like some kind of weather stoppage this year anyway? Yeah. So right it, call. It, it snowed. Um, it got real cold and snowed actually a lot. So they had paused people. Um, I think a majority of people who are on course were able to still continue, but yeah, they, they pulled people. I think at the, one of the, the high poles on yeah. the last day. Good so, call, Ellie. Good call. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll come help crew for him, uh, next year with you. All right. Good. You're on the hook. I've had so and many then, people tell me they want to, and then no one can commit. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll come. We'll do good cop, bad cop. And we'll make sure he, uh, he finishes <laughs> up again. So winding down, let's, uh, let's look ahead. Um, you know, you and I talked a few weeks ago and you were trying to get some beta on diagonal day food, the grand raid. Unfortunately, they wouldn't let you into the race, but when one door, closed another one opened and it yeah. sounds yeah. like you are now excited about a forthcoming trip to thailand so maybe yeah. tell us about uh how that came together and, and how you're feeling about the mountain running championships yeah so i'm um i got selected through like resume application for the adk trail team for the world championships in thailand so that's in about three weeks and yeah, I'm super excited. I raced with the team in 2018 when it was in Spain. And that's still been like one of the highlights of like my running experiences. I feel like just racing with teammates and like being in that environment was just super fun. And so I've, I've been excited to to be able to go back and get a chance to, to do that again. So we've got a great team. Um, I think it's going to be really hot. And I don't know a ton about like the trails. So I think it'll be a little bit of a wild adventure, but, um, yeah, this yeah, is, actually I was the- trying to find any information about the course also, have they published that at all? Uh, there's a, a low resolution map that I have tried to like line up with, with <laughs> like a map that I can like map out, but I, yeah, not yet, but hopefully like, they're just, they're just kind of starting to send out some more information. So um, hopefully everything comes together, but I think everyone's probably in the same boat unless they, they live out there already. So it'll be an adventure. Team USA is coming in strong there to Chiang Mai, Thailand. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I think you had a really interesting element to the team. Maybe quickly tell us about how you're thinking about training. I didn't realize it's only three weeks from now and turning around from a seven day adventure in the North Cascades and then whatever it was, 24, 25 hours at UTMB. Yeah. This is going to be a, a different beast altogether. Um, it is, how are you yeah. thinking about preparation and, you know, like course specificity and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, I feel like it's always hard. At least I've always had a hard time like translating the super long mountain kind of hundred type work into then like something fast. I think one thing that's really intriguing about this course is that there's like 15 or 16,000 feet of elevation gain on it. So it's, I mean, it's like stats wise about half of UTMB. So I think like that aspect of it, I think I'm really excited about, because even if it's a fast race, it's still going to be, I think a lot of hiking in that. So um, yeah, I don't know, just trying to get a little bit more focus on some speed work and quality miles, not doing quite as much like big volume 
um, and getting in the sauna to heat train as much as I can. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be quite muggy. And yeah, it's been like 80, like I keep, I have it on the weather app and it's been like mid eighties or warmer every single day there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Bring it'll be salt pills. Yeah, totally. Well, maybe last question, looking further ahead and good luck coming up here with team USA. Mm-hmm. We'll all Thanks. be rooting for you guys looking further ahead. I'm sure that this winter, you've got lots of plans to chill out and do some skiing and stuff. But what are you thinking about for 2023, both competitively? And are there any other massive dream expeditions that you want to speak about publicly at the moment? Yeah, um, I don't have a, I don't even have a, a massive dream expedition to share, but I know I want to do one. I think um, this one that the North Cascades higher out just took really like a full year of planning almost to pull together. So I think I'm thinking about like, maybe I won't do a big one like that next year, but I'd love to start kind of putting in the work to figure out what that would look like um, for the following year. So yeah, this point, um, planning to go back to UTMB. I think that'll be my big focus. And then I'd love to have a few other races kind of on my mind, but nothing set in stone yet. So I think um, just kind of keeping an open mind and trying to figure out some fun adventure stuff. And I think one thing I I will try to, to make sure I do next year is just not, not over race. Um, I think it was really nice to have like two big things that were my focus, you know, this summer and, um, staying fresh and stuff for UTMB, I think would be something I want to do next year too. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, KG, it's great to catch up. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks so much to KG. What an awesome athlete with a very unique place in the sport. I love how she talked about the balance of competition and expedition and how she can be on the leading edge of this new multi-sport endurance mountain travel phenomenon. Super cool, what a boss. Free Trail members, what did you like? What did I miss? Where should we have gone deeper? Let me know. Join the Free Trail Slack conversation. Get in the Free Trail podcast channel. Always love hearing your takeaways and your feedback. Big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland. Visit runspeedland.com. Sign up for the newsletter while you're there. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Boa Fit System, the best lacing technology ever invented. Who ties their shoes anymore? Come on, get with it. Boafit.com. Gnarly Nutrition, thanks so much to these guys. Go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off the best nutrition products in the game. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Always a joy and a privilege to get to do this show, and you all make it possible. I am grateful. Love you mucho. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.